The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PKE Podcast helps me cover the extensive and varied soundtrack of Pokemon Channel. While the game itself isn't exactly well regarded, the music gives us plenty to talk about, both in terms of production and style. To find out what we thought of the gameplay, be sure to listen after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKE Podcast. And we're doing another Pokemon side game music discussion. We're working our way through the third generation, the Ruby and Sapphire generation, and we've come to our second game. And this is going to be Pokemon Channel for the GameCube. So this game has a bit of an odd reputation, a bit of an odd lineage, I guess you could say. It's a spiritual successor to Hey You Pikachu, but uh, very critically maligned. And uh, the music, to be honest, might be the most interesting part there. So this was released in, let's see, about midway through 2003 in Japan, uh, back in uh, July. It was actually, it actually came out there before Pokemon Pinball Ruby Sapphire that we talked about last time. But we we go by uh, North American release date order, generally speaking. Let's see, in North America, it was released in December of 2003. And then in Europe, they got it in April of 2004. Like Hey You Pikachu, this was developed by Umbrella, uh, which uh, more recently has done some of the Pokemon Rumble games. And uh, if you've played those, you might recognize some of the music from Pokemon Channel without even having actually played it. Um, and uh, as I understand, you've never really played this game. Uh, what, what's sort of your history with this? Were you at all interested? How'd you find out about it? Um, I was passively interested. It was kind of the same with Hey You Pikachu. Like, it came out at a time when I did not own a console. So, you know, you had to be very judicious and you're renting stuff from the local video game store. It did not... I was interested, but not enough to basically shell out money for it at that time in my life. I grew more interested as I got older, but again, just still didn't again time money you prioritize i've watched it now that we have youtube um online which we were joking around basically that's playing it right (laughs) so yeah i don't want to be too harsh on it but um not the most (laughs) interactive game ever ever it does kind of in some ways sort of uh call back to the early days of cd-rom gaming but as far as my personal experience with this, uh, the way I experienced this, I definitely asked for it and got it for Christmas, I'm pretty sure, of 2003. Um, I remember playing it some, and yeah, I, I more or less realized it was kind of a uh, very much a novelty, and I, I guess thank you to my mom for giving me that one, because <laughs> it was definitely aimed at a, a lower age group than I was in when I was in, I was in college at the time. And I enjoyed it for what it was. I think I enjoyed the musical aspects, which we'll talk about today a fair bit. Um, but yeah, it's certainly on an interactive level, it's 
Well, well, we'll talk about that. We'll have a game discussion at the end of this, I guess, is the best way to put it. As far as who actually worked on this, so there's sort of like, t- because of all the pre-recorded video content on it, that's kind of on the anime side, but there's also, of course, the game side. So there's kind of two people we wanted to talk about here. So for the in-game music, so the stuff when you're out and about in the world of the game, uh, that is Miki Obata. Of course, uh we don't know if for sure it was her, but we're fairly certain she did the music for Hey You Pikachu as well. And, you know, as we mentioned in our Hey You Pikachu discussion, she had done a few games before that. And since then, this is mostly what she's worked on. It seems like she might have been retired. She might have had a brief musical career back in like the 60s or 70s. We're not entirely <laughs> sure if that's the same person either. <laughs> I, I guess, Anne, anything new to report on uh, Miki Obata? Um, nothing new. I mean, it just seems like an odd trajectory. I want to believe that they're the same person. In my heart, they are, but they they might not be. But uh, since this game does kind of borrow some music and content occasionally from Hey You Pikachu, she also could just be credited through that way. So it's there's a lot of questions about her and her involvement here. Or his, because if they're not the same person, Mickey could be a, a gentleman. Yeah, it's somewhat of an androgynous name, as we discussed uh, back with Hey You Pikachu. Now, on the anime side, of course, we'll be talking about some of the vocal songs that are in the animated short that uh, is sort of a big feature of this game. Um, But as far as, like, the background music, we kind of have two names for this. Jun Umebori or Asushi Umebori. Let me sort of explain. So if you look in the actual credits of the game... Jun, J-U-N, is the romanization, is the, the name you'll get there. And I can't find anything else by that name besides this game. However, Asushi, uh, Umibori, is credited with doing music for the short of Pokemon Movie 5, which was, uh, let's see, I forget exactly, Camp Pikachu, I think the English name of that, and that has the Pichu brothers in it. So it would totally make sense if he was... Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's a he, at least the Atsushi is, uh, was brought in uh, for this game as well as a direct follow-on there since it would have come in, you know, shortly thereafter. Anne, do you have any any thoughts on this one? Um, Nothing concrete. Like, I, I did some digging myself and kind of, as you say, it's possible they are the same person. It is not uncommon at all for people to use pseudonyms and pen names and stage names in the arts and especially with music composition, I do it all the time to kind of sometimes separate your different styles and your different income streams and marketability and the like. Jun and Atsushi definitely seem to kind of have similar-ish uh, projects they've worked on. Um, Pokemon Channel, Atsushi um, does a lot with anime and children's um, jingles especially. So it's very possible they are the same person, but it's hard to tell just because when you use a pseudonym and copyright things under a pseudonym, it doesn't always trace back where the public can see it. <laughs> yeah, so kind of a, another question mark there. I think uh, as far as Asushi, uh, Strike Witches was sort of one of the newer credits I found on there. Apparently, he's now living in France, and he actually has an, uh, a website you can take a look at um, that does list the, uh, the, the Pokemon movie short. Uh, for movie five, 
I guess that's that's another name. And then when we get to individual songs, we'll talk about who worked on those because we are talking about both of the vocal songs that are part of the short uh, later on in this discussion. Okay, so whenever we talk about a new system here, the tradition is that we sort of talk about the sound hardware of that system, at least a little bit. Last time around, we talked about the Game Boy Advance sound hardware for Pinball Ruby Sapphire. This time, to be honest, there's not a ton to say about the GameCube sound hardware. You know, we're turning into the 21st century. And at this point, you know, sound hardware looks a lot like it does today. Uh, from a technical specification, like uh, the GameCube audio supports a full uh, 16-bit uh, digital sound processor. So we, we talked last time that Game Boy Advance music can sound kind of hissy because it only has like 8 bits of depth. This has at least 16 here. Uh, full 48 kilohertz, which is sort of the, the same uh, the sampling rate used in, in like DVDs and stuff like that. Um, as far as like sampled sound, it can do like 64 channels, has stereo output and stuff like that. So it's very much a, a modern-ish, uh, you know, sound system in there. So I guess with the technical stuff out of the way, what we usually do is that each of us, me and Anne, will each pick three songs that we're going to talk about during our discussion. Let's see. I picked Side by Side slash We Are the Pichu Brothers. Uh, let's see. Uh, I also picked the My Room slash Home theme and then the Ruins of Truth theme. Now, Anne, what were the ones you picked? Um, I picked Meowth Party, uh, the Relaxation Channel, and Mountain Snowfall, or Mount Snowfall. All right. Well, normally Anne and I would alternate on this. However, to keep these songs in loosely the order you would experience them in the game, we're going to do a, some of these back-to-back -back for us. So that's a little bit different than what we usually do. But this game has a definite progression sequence to it in terms of how you unlock stuff and how you go to places. All right. So let's kind of start out with the vocal song that opens up the Pichu Brothers in Party Panic short. So this is Side by Side slash We Are the Pichu Brothers. There's, uh, one interesting about this is the short, at least in the North American version, is available in both English and Japanese. Uh, let's see. As far as the song's original composition and arrangement, that goes to Hirokazu Tanaka. The uh, longtime musician uh, worked for Nintendo for many years and then transferred over to Creatures, Inc. and has written a bunch of stuff for the anime. Now he's in more of a managerial role as the president of Creatures, Inc., I believe. You'll see him at Pokemon events every now and again. So let's see, the English side was done, uh, the lyrics were, were translated or uh, adapted, I guess you could say, by Norman Grossfeld from Four Kids. And let's see, the English vocals were done by a guy by the name of, of Peter Thom, I think is how that's pronounced, who uh, I did some research on, and he has a very interesting career that you should take a look at. His, his work goes everywhere from a, a movie called DC Cab, uh, which was a movie starring Mr. T. And he's also done a ton of work with the Muppets. Uh, more recently, I'm not really sure exactly what he's up to. He's uh, in his like mid-70s now. I don't think anything's happened to him. And uh, let's see. I have on the Japanese side, I have what? Akito Toda, and, uh, who's a, a regular person on the uh, anime music side in Japan uh, for, for Pokemon. And then Endo Kumiko. Do you have some information on who that person is? 
She's uh Endo Kumiko is another one who it's kind of hard to separate her. Um Kumiko is not an uncommon name and neither is Endo as a last name. Trying to compare the kanji like because they are so common even that like I'm not sure if I can separate them. There is a Kumiko Endo who is in the entertainment world who is an actress um done a lot of dramas but she's also a voice actress it's hard to separate her i don't see a lot of credits though for video game composition work and mu- a music career outside of her seiyu and acting career like as a vocalist so i don't think it's the same person uh kumiko endo whoever they are if they're not uh, this lovely lady is kind of an unknown um there's not a ton of information on her, not a ton of IMDb. Okay, I did find some of that same stuff. Like there's a, a ser- there's a series called like Special Investigation 9 that apparently someone at least with the same name does play a recurring character who's shown up a few times and also in like a predecessor series uh, as the same character. So maybe or may not, you know, it's not unheard of for someone to have a, a, a role in singing and also in voice acting. Um, so they could mm-hmm. well be the same person. But uh, with that being said, let's sort of talk about the style of this song then. I sort of put down that it has a, a vaudeville slash ragtime vibe, very much a, you know an, uh, an early jazz type of deal. You know, the instrumentation, there's a, a piano and, and some old-timey instrument stuff. Uh, and was that, I, I'm guessing that's what you recognize as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely like ragtime, like an old piano roll sort of situation, like a stereotypical old time Western where we walk into the bar and the piano's going. And it's an interesting choice. Um, I I don't say I dislike it, but it is definitely it is it is a hard choice <laughs> that somebody made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was definitely uh, made with uh, deliberate intent. I think is the the word you're kind of looking for yes. there, or the phrase or whatever. <laughs> but um, one interesting thing you may have noticed that the uh, the Japanese singer definitely female, the English singer definitely male, and, and this is also uh, there's also international versions from uh, when this game was uh, put out in Europe. But uh, first of all, the the song is in different keys. You may notice the piano is a little bit pitched differently because, of course, those two folks have very different vocal ranges and and kind of different singing styles. Peter on the English side is very much a a gravelly, uh, old-timey voice there versus uh, Endo, uh, more of a a bright uh, female voice. Is, Is that about right, Anne? Yeah, and yeah, that's not uncommon, like, when a female covers a, a traditionally male sung song or vice versa, usually the key has to be adjusted. I have found this out the hard way in all of my vocal lessons. <laughs> but it still kind of works for both of them. I guess the maybe the male voice, the <laughs> way that performance goes, is a little more what you would expect. Um, I'd love to know how this all came about. I do wonder if uh, Peter's work with the Muppets is eventually how folks like Russell Velazquez ended up working on Sesame Street and stuff like that. But um, um, let's let's kind of talk and, and move on and talk about the lyrics of this song, though. Obviously, it gives a very much an introduction to the P2 Brothers, because, you know, not everyone saw the shorts from the third or the fifth movie or the one or two other things the P2 Brothers were on. 
Um, so mm-hmm. it sort of explains their daily life and the world they live in. I think it does a pretty good job. Uh, and I assume you agree with that. Yeah, it's very cute. It kind of kind of introduces them as characters, um, and it's you know just talks about being just a f- fun life that they're living. Um, the two of them, they make fun wherever they go. It's it's an amusement park without the need of a ticket, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Animals in urban areas always uh, kind of an interesting experience. You know, with the with the pandemic earlier this year, when folks were staying inside uh, a lot in the spring, that we noticed that uh, animals were sort of coming out and being a little more brave. Uh, so I think we get a little taste of that here as well. One other thing I want to know is this isn't the only place this song appears. There's a, a short, which I think may have come out before this game, that this I think was originally written for on the Japanese side. Um, which later became part of Pokemon Chronicles. Um, there's a couple of Pichu Brothers episodes, and I think one of them has either an extended version of this song or an alternate version of this song or something like that. So this is not the only place this song uh, appears. But I think it gets the, the short off to a very good start and sort of gets your attention. Works pretty well there. I think, Anne, I think you're, you're in agreement there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, normally we would alternate on these, but uh, around the same time as you see this first part of this uh, anime short is that you get to experience the one of the game's themes, which is the My Room slash Home theme. This one is, um, I wouldn't call it, I don't think sparse is quite the right word, but it's really just like a solo piano, but yet it still manages to, to fill things pretty well. It's... Um, Got this, you know, friendly, peaceful vibe. It's much slower. Um, and what were your sort of uh, your thoughts on on this track? Well, I'm surprised you say friendly because my first thought was, oh my gosh, why is this song so sad? <laughs> like, it, it's like just feels like, oh my gosh, we need someone to talk in the background so this oppressive silence and aloneness doesn't crush my soul. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful track. I love the use of the piano. But there's a melancholic sort of side to it, I feel. So maybe it's all perception. Maybe it depends on what mood you're in when you sit down to play, whether it's a friendly vibe or like, I'm really lonely. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you that. It can definitely be interpreted that way. I think the the melody also is a bit of a swaying back and forth vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sort of one of the biggest things about it, though, is that it is very much a contrast to most of the music used on the like actual like TV programming within the game, which is both in the short and also on some of the other channels there, which is much more energetic and uh, stuff. And I, I think that was part of the reason it was composed this way. There are things you can do in the room that are not playing the TV, like you can point at things uh, for Pikachu to look at, which, uh, yeah, this is an, another Pikachu game in case you hadn't caught that. <laughs> but um, and there's some other things you can explore, but it, it in a way it does encourage you to go out and, and do stuff or to stay in and watch TV, which is a little bit of an odd dynamic. But uh, <laughs> like I said, it's uh, it I, I'm trying to remember exactly how the the equivalent theme for your for the room theme in uh, in Hey You Pikachu goes, and it's definitely different than this. Yeah, it's it the room itself. Th- Fills a very similar purpose. Any other thoughts on this track, Anne? 
Well, now that you bring it up, that might, yeah, be a very smart choice to make the room a very peaceful, kind of relaxing sort of track, very soft and very different compared to all the other tracks you're going to hear in this game that sitting in the room deciding what you're going to watch is a very different experience. There's something very creative in that. So I do appreciate that now that you've pointed it out. All right. Well, before I hand it off to you, and I did want to briefly mention uh, Biozilla in the chat room mentioned, uh, uh, let's see, Pikachu and Pichu takes place during 2020 confirmed. <laughs> but moving on, Anne, uh, why don't you talk about the first of your songs, uh, Mount Snowfall. There's a bunch of places you can go in the game as it opens up, but this is one of them. Uh, tell us about the song. Well, I picked Mount Snowfall because it is a winter time of year and this song sounds like Christmas to me. It like it has a very jingle belly type vibe to it. Or you know, or we just talked about walking in a winter wonderland. There there are jingle bells. There is kind of just that bright light energetic feel to it. And the music itself, it kind of it's kind of catchy. Like it repeats a general phrase. Um but I like how it builds because even though it's kind of you know repeating the same phrase then the second verse kind of repeats it again it adds more instrumentation it adds in like a stronger beat and a fuller sound it's just a very satisfying track just gives you a very pleasant feel to it yeah now unfortunately by the time this gets out to the podcast feed it'll probably be spring but um or maybe even summer but uh that's okay um it'll be easter and that's basically christmas so we're fine we're fine (laughs) But um, snowing somewhere. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of that. I have some of my own notes. Obviously, there are bells in it and uh, some descending notes, which is always, you know, we had talked in the Hey You Pikachu about the the ochre area, which had uh, descending chromaticism, which I guess there was supposed to be falling leaves. Here, I guess it's falling snow. Kind of a, a similar thing, but the instrumentation much more amenable to uh, to the holiday time. And I, I specifically do mean the holiday time. If you compare it to stuff like some of the stuff in the uh, Crown Tundra DLC from Sword and Shield, that is a bit of a different breed than what we have here. So I did want to also interject the uh, phrase I came up with this was uh, mall during the holidays, because uh, that's kind of the uh, the vibe I get musically from this track. Um that kind of thing. Any other thoughts on this particular track? No, you nailed it. <laughs> We're a Miracle wasn't written or rewritten to work with Pokey on the first movie. And if for some reason you don't believe me on that, I do have an email from one of the folks behind the song. In any event, despite its unrelated origins, it seems to do a great job matching up with the film. But why is that? There's the obvious stuff, like references to a storm and tears early in the piece, and some later lyrics that provide a good summary of the relationship between Ash and Pikachu. However, there's another possible explanation. We're a Miracle definitely features some of Christina's more aggressive vocal qualities. Normally this gives her songs a sensual vibe, but here it has the benefit of making her sound a bit more like, well, you know. Anyway, if you'd like to hear a more in-depth analysis of this song, as well as its Japanese equivalent, Together with the Wind, a few years ago I recorded a discussion with Anne from PV Podcast, and you should find a link in the episode description. Thanks.
All right, well, you picked out another channel theme here, and it's the relaxation channel. I think this channel is is probably one of the ones that gets the most flack in this game. Uh, but I'm guessing the, the music made you pick it for some reason. What was that? Yeah, um, I found it to be really, really soothing. I found, thought, like, the little Mary interjecting was very cute. Kind of in the same winter of Mountain Snowfall. It's a very satisfying track, but mostly, like... As I'm searching through the soundtrack, I often look through the YouTube commenters because that's where I find the people who really love the game seem to come out of the woodwork. And this was a track that got so many interesting comments on it of people talking about like their memories of leaving their GameCube on all night so that they could fall asleep to this music and waking up and seeing all the Mary that they didn't count and stuff like that. So I picked it just because... Even though it's kind of a track that no one seems to like when you look at it on the internet in text, when you actually look at the places where this song exists on the internet, YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever that people have reposted it, there are plenty of people who love it. And it filled a little niche in their lives that makes sense to me that I could fall asleep very happily to this track and kind of just enough stimulation to feel happy with it without racing thoughts but soothing enough that i could get a nice sleep well the uh two words i put in my notes were happy and hypnotic because there 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 is just a little <laughs> bit of a, a hypnotic quality to it and um i also want to mention that the bells give it somewhat of a light feeling which makes sense because the the whole gist of this particular channel is that uh you have a long series of marie jumping over a fence <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, if we had heavier music, it you wouldn't think they would be able to, to jump over the fence. So that does kind of need to be a, uh, a little bit of a lighter tune, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned also about sort of the status of this uh, the game soundtrack. There is obviously no official release. Um, and furthermore, unlike Hey Pikachu that has a sound test, this has a sound test, but you can only get to it through like a hidden debug menu that you can use like an action replay to get to um, and all that stuff. As such, the um, uh, the stuff you'll find online is either it's, it's either going to have uh, Pokemon voices over it often or it's going to have some technical things because one of the people who did bother to go into the the debug menu and sound test didn't have a, a perfect audio setup, I guess, and they kind of admit that in one of their comments. As far as the relaxation channel goes, I'm not sure I have that much else to say about it. It is one of the more simplistic channels on there, um, and it's it's one that's usually, like we said, brought up to sort of you know especially mock this game. Um, and any other considerations, I suppose. Um, we'll probably talk about more gameplay and the like later, but yeah, and no, I just, I feel like it was something a little bit different and seemed to have such a beloved, you know, little niche fan base to it that I was very touched by it, so. All right, well, let's let's move back to one of my songs. One of the ones I picked out is The Ruins of Truth. Now, Anne picked out Mount Snowfall, one of the locations you can go to in the game, and one of the places within that is called the Ruins of Truth. And I figured I'd include this one in part because in our Hey You Pikachu discussion, we totally spoiled the ending of that game. I figured we might as well do the same for its uh, spiritual successor. Um, So 
as you progress through the game, each day within the game or so, you get another piece of the Pichu Brothers uh, animation short. And when it gets to the final part, it turns out, oh no, they lost the disc. And it wound up in the da-da-da Ruins of Truth. So this is a place to go into. It's pitch black to start off with, pretty much. And, you know, in contrast to the Hey You Pikachu in the game, which I'll try not to completely spoil here, but it has a big emotional arc. This one goes for something a little bit different. It is a little bit creepy and spooky in there, and the the music definitely supports it. It's got this kind of weird synth instrument as sort of the main thing there. You know, there's kind of this, I I called it a shimmering sound. Um, And what were your sort of initial impressions of this track? My notes say, and now for something completely different, like this is a hauntingly beautiful, like, synth track that's very simple, but still evokes a huge emotion with you. Like, it long sustained notes and just like a very eerie, but not necessarily threatening feeling. So, very good walking that line. Yeah, it's got some, like, intermittent drums and stuff like that, but, yeah, very sparse otherwise. Uh, It's not a super huge area either. You basically light a few uh, objects, and then you, like, answer a question. Then you get the uh, the disc back, and you watch the end of that uh, short. But uh, Ruins of Truth, uh, the music definitely fits the area there. It's very ominous and, and, and kind of dark to fit that nature of the game without being so... So much so that it would be really scary, you know, but it's definitely there. Mm. All right. And you've got one more song pick. It's uh, the other vocal song in here, and it's Meowth's Party. Now, this one has quite a history. It actually goes back to like the beginning of Gen 2 in Japan. Uh, Why don't you sort of fill (laughs) us in on the history of this song? Yeah, uh, Meowth's Party, it actually came out in 1999, um, October, and it's it was kind of meant to be an ending theme. It's the Japanese seventh ending theme, um, kind of through the Orange Islands era. It replaced Riding on Lapras, um, and it did get um, t- transferred over to the English side and dubbed, um, if you listen to the soundtrack, like you'll hear Mouty Blostein's Meowth singing it. But it only survived as an actual ending theme in the U.S. for two episodes. They aired, I think, the Japanese version once and the English version once after the next episode. And, like, neither were ever aired again on the WB network. I can't find anything that has ever shown up ever since. Um, so that's interesting. I'm not sure if they just had a bad viewer response or if they found something they liked more to replace it. But... It's a kind of an interesting track because um, being an ending theme, it has a music video to go to it. And it kind of combines 3D computer graphics with um, the traditional 2D cell shaded. Um, not necessarily well, but it's an inter- for, for 1999, this is an interesting experiment for the time. So just to sort of fill in what you were talking about there, uh, back in the summer of 2000, Kids WB did a Pokemon Around the World feature where they had international versions of some of the songs from like To Be a Master and also like the opening Pokemon theme and other stuff that they would splice in to the opening and ending segments uh, during that time period. And they even did uh, this. 
Uh, they had the Japanese version at the end of an episode and also the English version in the end of the episode. And the timing is very interesting there because uh, you'd mentioned sort of the 3D CG aspect of it. But in, I believe, around the summer of 2000, during a trade show called, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember, oh, Space World, I think it is, um, that used to be around, that uh, what they did, uh, they they showed off some GameCube tech demos, which included a variety of things, um, including a, like, semi-interactive version of Meowth's Party running on GameCube hardware and stuff like that. Dang! And that sort of ties into sort of this. I think the thing that you actually see in the game is actually a series of pre-rendered video clips that it swaps between. There's like random stuff that can happen in there every time you play it, which is kind of kind of neat. But yeah, so I, I felt that timing was part of the reason they did that. Both the Pokemon Around the World thing they did in the summer of 2000 and also timing with the GameCube tech demo to sort of get a little cross traffic back then. That's a little bit of speculation on my part, but there's your context there, Anne. That's so cool. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So you were about to talk about the music of it. Uh, Why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, I kind of feel that the music kind of follows that same slightly random uh, feel of the animation. Um, Like, when I first listened to it, I kind of felt like YouTube accidentally recommended me some mediocre Dempa track music again. Like, as the song goes along, like, it kind of has that ragtimey sound of the Pichu Brothers, but then it also devolves into, well, not devolves, it switches into a um, kind of a light, old-timey rock, bluesy rock sort of thing. And... The backing instrumentals feels very like a, a strange cross between children's traditional children's music and Dempa music, which it, I didn't like it. But over listening to the course of this song, the lyrical rhyming and the, like, you know, the energy of Meow singing about him and his cohorts throwing this party to give everyone ice cream, their diabolical scheme. Like, it started to win me over, so I'm, I have very mixed emotions and confused feelings about this track, but I feel it kind of has that same bizarre energy that you get from watching the animation of, like, I'm not quite sure what this is. Is it 2D? Is it 3D? Is it this kind of music? This kind of music? And, and it kind of seems to live in its own little world, but it is fun, and, like, the ultimately the the song is fun the cd um for the original release is fun because it's kind of like meowth as a rock star and you know featuring musashi and kojiro on the poster behind him so like it feels very pokemon ultimately it's it's a song that had again just some definite strong choices made and at the end of it you're having fun cheering with meowth and jesse and james and the pokemon so ultimately, I think it's a successful track for this game, but I still have weird feelings about it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, the, the main portion of the song is definitely very much a, a, a rock track. Um, maybe not quite what you would expect in like uh, the Western rock scene, but definitely uh, guitars and stuff like that. I guess... You know, what I want to say here is I, I vaguely remember the stuff from, from 2000, from the Pokemon Around the World, that version of it. Uh, but this is obviously where I have most of my experience with this song. 
you had mentioned the lyrics uh, a fair bit there. As far as like the English lyrics, which again were uh, written by Norman Grossfeld for this game, um, I think they really capture sort of the the fun-loving side of Meowth, how um, even though he, technically he's a villain, um, every so often he likes to sort of just not spontaneously do things, but sort of like do something, I guess you could say, nice here, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> even if it pretends it's a it's an evil scheme. <laughs> but um, no, the, the writing here on this translation, which I think is a little bit like the, the Pichu Brothers one, the two versions have basically the same things. I think Meow's Party in English is a little bit, takes a few more liberties uh, from the Japanese one in terms of uh, content and stuff. But a, a little. It definitely fits. Yeah, it's a little bit. The lyrics for the Japanese version is, is kind of in the same way that Meow in Japanese tends to be a little bit more uh, philosophical. So he's he's not trying to pass it off as a as a scheme basically but he's yeah he's inviting everybody for ice cream and his obsession with the moon is going very strong in this song um but it's still kind of got that that fun spirit of we're gonna bring everybody together and we're just gonna have a party all right well that kind of covers the tracks we wanted to talk about let's give sort of our overall impressions of the music of this game obviously you do kind of have the two halves because there's stuff for the short but there's also in-game stuff the in-game stuff you know very much sounds like stuff from hey you pikachu a little more evolved in terms of instrumentation you know because they could do a little bit more on the um on the gamecube than they could on the n64 um, but sort of the the thing I came up with here is I think the music may well be the most interesting part of this game. And game, for a lot of folks, is in quotation marks for this one. <laughs> but uh, regardless of what you think of the final product, you have to say that, at least musically, they did put a lot of effort into it. And is that sort of your thing? Do you have other observations? Um, Very similar. It's kind of... We talk a lot on this show ever since, you know, we were doing the ending mu movie themes about whether or not a song fits the purpose it was meant to do. And this is kind of a strange situation where we're not entirely sure what the purpose is because it is a game, but it is also a viewing experience, but not fully formed in that way. So it's kind of the music, as you say, is definitely the most interesting thing about it. And it is, the tracks are nice, but when you kind of evaluate it in the sense of, like, does it do what it was meant to do, it's it's harder to evaluate it on that, on whether or not it was a successful track or whether it's a successful soundtrack, because the audience is left with a little bit of a question mark as to what the purpose was. But as far as video game music, just in the abstract sense goes, like, this is very nice music. It's very varied. There's a lot of different things to it, um, but since it doesn't necessarily translate to different gameplay experiences in the same way, it again, it, it, it puts a bit of a damper on how you feel about it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I suppose if we're comparing to Hey You Pikachu, one of the, the differences is there's not as much of a repeating theme in the music for this game as in Hey You Pikachu. Hey, Pikachu has that comment. This one, there is the Pokemon Channel jingle that shows on some of what are called eye catches. 
in between programs where it's the uh, that one that Pikachu eventually will start singing along with which is another little fun aspect. The, the voice acting, which I guess we, we should just briefly mention here, it's, it's, this is still in the four kids era, so it's mostly those folks, um, is uh, about what you would expect there as well. Mm-hmm. Ikue, Otani, so. So yeah, if you're going to appreciate something from this game, it'll probably be the uh, the, the musical aspects and some of the uh, visual presentation. It's hard for me to recommend. Uh, well, well, we'll save some of the, our other thoughts for the game discussion in the uh, in the post <laughs> segment. Okay. Well, well, with the the game music discussed, we have a little bit of feedback to go over. Uh, just a reminder: if you are ever attending one of these live, you can certainly give us comments in there, and we'll try to work those into the discussion. Otherwise, you can always give us a comment on one of our videos, or you can drop me an email at pokepress at gmail.com, and we'll try to include those in a future discussion. We love getting that, some of the best stuff we get. So just the day we recorded this, I got some comments on, let's see, our discussion of the music of Giratina and the Sky Warrior, specifically part two of that. That was before we started doing these live streams, so it's uh, posted up there. These are two comments that we got from, let's see... Jacob Persico, I hope I said that about right, but uh, first of all, Jacob, thank you very much for commenting, and thank you for putting in little timestamps on there. You know, you can always type in a timestamp in a comment you're leaving on a YouTube video. This is any video, and uh, they'll create a little clickable link. So as far as the first uh, time point he has, let's see. It says, thank you. I'm trying to track down that music video, the Pokemon Coloring Contest version of Stay With This Finger, now that I know it's on the Japanese movie DVD, that helps. So glad to be of service there. And his other comment is that The Power of One is a very pretty song with good meaning. Uh, not a ton to say on either of those comments, but we definitely appreciate them. And I, I, I more or less agree with the, the Power of One comment there. That's a, a standout song, uh, even if it hadn't getting, gotten misappropriated by American politics. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, like I said, any comments you have on this or any other discussion, uh, please do give us those. We love getting those, and they really help us out. All right. Well, that kind of does it for uh, Pokemon Channel as far as our music discussion. Where are we going to be talking about next? Well, we go in English release order of these side games, and the next one happens to be Pokemon Coliseum, also for the GameCube. Yeah, this one is... uh, more of a traditional Pokemon game. It's sort of a, it's sort of a combination of elements from the main games with a little bit of Pokemon Stadium thrown in there. Um, it sort of takes the place of the Pokemon Stadium games from Gen One and Two, but it also has a story mode that functions as a game unto itself. And uh, we'll be talking about the music of that. We're going to be able to talk about, uh, let's see, Sukasa Tawada, who has a long history with the Pokemon franchise, starting here, I believe. But I'm looking forward to talking about that. And I don't know if you have any experience with this game. It shows up pretty frequently at, like, events and stuff. Have you ever played it? I have played it. Um, not, not extensively, but I have. I'm very excited to well, well, that'll be a very different type of game and a very different type of music than what we had today. But until next time, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. All right, folks, thanks. 
Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, well, it's time to talk about Pokemon Channel as a game. And like I said earlier, a lot of folks like to put that in quotes in this particular case. I had mentioned earlier, it kind of harkens back to like the early days of CD-ROM gaming on console and on computers, where, you know, they had to use all the little tricks there to have like, you know, high quality audio and full motion video and stuff like that. I think it's better than a lot of the stuff that you would see on like the the Sega CD from like folks like uh, digital pictures that had very minimal interactivity. This has got a bit more interactivity and you know, a, a bit more heart and soul put into it, even if it wasn't, uh, clearly wasn't enough for a lot of reviewers. But, uh, Anne, what are your sort of thoughts on, on that side of it? Well, I have a couple, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, my first was, um, remember back when you used to be able to get like, um, cartoon episodes, like episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff on a cartridge for your, like your Game Boy Advance. I think the PSP also did something similar at one point. So it kind of, I didn't, you know, cross-reference these timelines or anything, but it kind of struck me as something very similar to that, only with a bit more interactivity. So it could be that this game was intended to be a very experimental exploration into what exactly the future of gaming was and game consoles. Um, And now we have consoles where you... They basically are your DVD players and your cable, almost. So, like, as an intellectual exercise, this game is interesting in that sense to me. Um, You know, as someone who watches a lot of Japanese television, I find that aspect very interesting as well. But I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall at the developmental meeting for this game, there's I have a lot of questions. Yeah, from what I understand, what I've heard various places, they were trying to sort of get a game that was specifically designed for the younger end of the market, so like the early elementary school folks who were maybe a little bit disinclined to go straight into the main series Pokemon games, maybe felt those were a little too intimidating and wanted something that sort of, you know, got them there. You do need to have basic reading skills to play this game, although the short has voice acting, uh, most of the other stuff is subtitled, so you do kind of need that. But if you're comparing this to stuff like, I don't know, it was definitely not Night Trap, I can tell you that much. Um, but, uh, or or Make My Video or stuff like that. It's 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 got more to it than that. But um, to be honest, I think Hey You Pikachu, the voice recognition, even though it wasn't always super reliable, I think was a better gimmick in terms of gameplay, uh, yes, it had problems with, you know, accents and and stuff like that. But I think that gave it a little more value in terms of, like, it was something interesting to try. Versus mm-hmm. this is, I don't know, you kind of get what I'm going for there, Anne? I'm not sure. I th- I agree, yeah. Like, whatever they were experimenting with in this game... 
I don't necessarily feel it was a success. It's very interesting to me as a looking back on it, time capsule sort of thing. But I, I, yeah, I don't think many people would think of this game as a success. <laughs> well, sales-wise, it definitely wasn't. I mean, it's it's not as if they could have redone Hey, you Pikachu, you know, two on this if they had wanted to. There, I think there is at least one GameCube game with a microphone. I forget if it's Odama or something else. That's also a very interesting mismatch game there. <laughs> um, but, you know, given the sort of reception this game got both critically and sales-wise, it's not hard to see why, starting on the Wii and going forward after that, the Pikachu-centric games have gone in a very different direction from what this or even what Hey You Pikachu was. You know, we've got the the Poke Park games on the on the Wii, where you you are Pikachu and you're just exploring around an area, and you you know you meet friends and do stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, you've got the whole Detective Pikachu. Well, it's supposed to be a series. We're still waiting for the second game, um, <laughs> which I'm guessing is part of the reason we haven't heard anything about a second movie uh, lately. <laughs> but I, I think, and I, I think you have some experience. We'll talk about those games more in depth when we get to them, but. I assume you agree that this it's pretty easy to see why they went in a different direction with those games going forward. Yeah, and it's important to remember that sometimes when you try something new, it doesn't work. And, you know, just because in our personal lives, our failures do not, you know, get reviewed by people on podcasts doesn't mean that it doesn't happen to video game companies, too. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this wasn't so much of a failure that everyone from Umbrella got fired. They got put on different stuff. Um, the next thing they did after this was my Pokemon Ranch for WiiWare and then the Pokemon Rumble games. So they might have been downsized, given that those are generally smaller games. But uh, I don't think they were all thrown out on the street either, which I guess was a kind of a nice thing to do. <laughs> I also wanted to make a comparison here between... We talked about the, the Wii. We mentioned the Wii there. And, uh, you know, of, of course, that also uses sort of the channels metaphor. Uh, it's not completely derived from this game, but there are parts, like when you're moving the cursor around, that feel kind of like moving around on one of the, the Wii menus with the Wii remote. seems like a, a more organic version of that. Hmm. I, I don't know if there was any explicit, like if there was any code ported over or stuff like that. But it does seem like someone who, who worked on the interface probably at least had a little bit of experience with this game just from, you know, uh, it being an, a Nintendo game and stuff like that. What do you think, Anne? Well, you know, I hadn't noticed anything of the like myself, but everything builds on everything. And I like the thought that, again, it, this game was not a commercial success or even necessarily a cult classic type of success, but I like the idea that maybe some... Maybe some coding or some gameplay or some some aspects of what they did while working on this game informed stuff they the company did in the future. That's a natural part of development, and um, it would be very nice to think that they they learned some positive things from this that they were able to to bring to other games, even if the game as itself was not something that brings them fame and glory. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to point that out. And then a uh, couple loose ends, I suppose. Let's talk a little bit about the Pichu brothers. I mean, they they had <laughs> that short in the third movie. 
They had a short in the fifth movie. They had one or two things that would eventually become part of Chronicles, and they were in here. Now, since then, they don't show up too often. I was looking it up. The last time they showed up in any sort of Pokemon media um, in the Meloetta short, which I guess was back in Gen 5, so that's pretty far distance at this point. They were seen in the audience somewhere or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Can you think of a, a yeah. reason why they kind of sort of disappeared after a while? Um, it's hard to say. Like, there was definitely a huge push to make them a marketing icon similar to Pikachu. And I think for a few, for a while, that did work. Like, they were very recognizable. Um, but I think kind of in the sense that, like, Ash's Charizard coming back in Unova was not for the children. That was for the adults because the children don't remember who, like, they like a Charizard, but they don't remember Ash's Charizard or any of that journey. I think in that sense, the Pichu brothers kind of lose a little bit of their marketability as the Pokemon fan base, the anime fan base, replenishes itself every couple of years. Um, and we lose a lot of kids who grew up and gain a lot bunch of kids who were born and the Pichu brothers a lot of their push came from the anime as a marketing icon to be equal with Pikachu so as time goes by they're just not as recognizable as a unit I think I also wonder a few other things like have they been somewhat usurped by other electric rodents you know because gen 3 we got Plusle and mine and gen 4 you got Pachirisu Emolga uh, Gen 5, and then what? Let's see, Dedene, and I forget what they did in, in uh, Alola, and usually they, they must have something mm-hmm. in Sword and Shield, but I forget. Um, usually they, ha- oh, they have, uh, oh, I can see it now, the Toga de Maru, uh, Maru in, uh, in, uh, the Alola region, and I forget what, if anything, they've done for this new one, but yeah, I mean, the Pichu Brothers, there was actually a Pichu Brothers card in the trading card game. Uh, the most recent thing I can think of is is in that uh, Mystery Dungeon DX remake that came out early in 2020. Uh, you'll occasionally get a mission from one Pichu to rescue another Pichu, and I think they might refer to each other as brothers. So that might be a loose reference there. But I do kind of wonder if at one point they had grander plans for the Pichu Brothers to sort of morph that into something bigger, and it just uh, didn't quite happen. Possibly. Okay, well, one other thing I do definitely want to mention before we we head out on this is that this game, um, inside of it, you have this little thing called the Pokemon Mini, which was this weird little mini device, which I think might have served as a a forerunner of the Pokewalker and the Wii U Fit Meter, but I'm not sure called the, the Pokemon, which had these tiny little cartridges, and it was never super popular. I have one uh, back in my bedroom and whatever uh, that has, like, the one cartridge it came with. I, I guess I could have brought it out, but you can see it in this game, and they have a bunch of the little cartridges here. Um, anything to say about that little device? Um, Not a ton. Like, I didn't care for it. Like, I, well, I never owned it, for starters. Um, like, did this predate the... This predated the pedometer that used to come with a Pokemon game sometimes, well, right? Well, the, the mini Pikachu thing. Then there was this. And then when Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver came out, they came out with the, uh, the little pedometer thing that you could generate watts on and transfer to the game. 
And then a couple of years later, when We Fit You came out, then you had the Fit Meter. I don't know how related all that hardware is, but it, it seems to be in sort of the same vein as a little thing you keep with you to, to mm-hmm. do stuff with. Uh, but I did kind of want to mention that, that that was actually helpful for some folks who were trying to like reverse engineer and figure out how the thing worked was having that in this game. So I guess that's the other notable thing. Um, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I seem to remember like little things like keychain pets and things you could take with you, but also pedometers. Like my research and experience, like a lot of that seems to come out of Japan and Asia, like they seemed to be a lot more into tracking your steps and things like that and having little things that you took with you long before we were in the West. That's largely apocryphal because I've not done extensive research on that, but like it does seem in my experience that they were kind of more into that scene before we were. It could, it very well could be that this is kind of, again, a way this game was just kind of experimenting with like, so what what could a video game be? What else could we do that's different that maybe evolved over time into, you know, now we have, like, what's the 3DS had that, like, step street pass thing that you could do. Like, it could have evolved into many different different directions from, like, a little germ of an idea that was maybe not quite formed, but gave some information that spurred research and development later on. Yeah, so a lot of threads coming into and coming out of this game. I think that's one of the themes, I guess, you can put in there is that there's, like I said, a lot of things lead through Pokemon Channel, and I guess that's kind of just the nature of it. Yeah, I'm having um, flashbacks to our discussion regarding the moon scene in Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, but I think it's probably better that we different opinions. move on from that <laughs> uh, bit of a dead horse. Um, 